I am here at Blockworks Permissionless in Austin, joined with Mark Yusko of Morgan Creek. We're in the Kraken Podcast Studio, which is a fantastic studio. And uh, thank you so much to Kraken for uh, making this available. Mark, we just got off a panel, uh, you, me, Urian, and Jim Bianco. My final question was, over the next 12 months, is the macro, is it going to be a tailwind for crypto, for Bitcoin, a headwind for crypto, or it doesn't matter? What was your answer and why? Well, I said it doesn't matter, but it it always matters. But I I was poking fun in the sense that I think there's a tidal wave coming in two things. One is the halving. And I think the halving cycle of Trump, I'm not supposed to use that word anymore, but is going to override all the other cycles. And then I do think this, this wall of liquidity is coming because BlackRock's going to get approved. It just is. Now, will others get approved? I don't know. I don't really, I mean, I do care because two of my own pieces of, so I'd like them to get approved too. But that is going to bring tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of demand into the physical spot market. And that that's going to push prices. And it's just people want to own it now, but they can't because they can't go on chain. They can't touch yeah, the coin. Like yeah. I have a family harmony account, which means my brother-in-law works at UBS. And for family harmony, I have an account with him. He's a nice guy and I like him, and, but I would probably not if I weren't married to yeah. his sister. And I've tried to buy everything. I've tried to buy GBTC, can't do it. I've tried to buy mining companies, can't do it. I've tried to buy, I mean, they have a whole list. Of, really? And it's blacklist. And at Merrill, it's worse. At Merrill Lynch, if, Jack, you made your money in crypto, they won't let you open an account. Really? So, so there's this bias against this whole industry, yeah. and, and uh, that's all going to go away. But are there, so are there a lot of people who uh, can't buy uh, BITO, the ETF that has future, Bitcoin futures ETF, but they can buy the BlackRock? I can't, I can't buy it at UBS, but there are some places you can buy it, like yeah. in Schwab, and and uh, I think Fidelity will allow it. Uh, I know Fidelity will allow it. So there are definitely places that can buy it, but a BlackRock ETF, no one's going to be able to say no. No one. Yeah, not BlackRock. UBS, not Merrill Lynch, not, no one. And so now you've got all these clients saying, hey, I've got to get some, i got to get some. No, they're saying it less now than they did two years ago because people buy what they wish they would have bought. So when it went from 10 to 69, they wanted to buy it. And now that it's on sale, they run out of the store. In fact, I say this all the time. Investing is the only business when things go on sale, people run out of the store. Every other business in the world, like you put those chairs on sale right there, people will knock each other over to get in the store to buy them. But you put stocks or crypto on sale, people run out of the store. And with if, if a chair were a stock or a crypto, if the chair increased in value, people would want to buy more of it. It's the, you know, it's the yeah, opposite. Exactly. And the exactly. crowd, I mean, you've been in the investment business a long time. You know, I, I have it, but I've observed this. So I want to hear, if, you know, if you've observed this, if it's a constant of, of human nature of investors yeah. to anytime something goes up, that's when they want to get, people always, demand for something is always high at humans, the top and lowest at the bottom. Look, humans are really simplistic animals and there's nothing new in this world. Everything that we're experiencing has happened 100 years ago, 500 years ago, thousands of years ago. All the self-help books on management, you know, Robert Maxwell's this, this empire, uh, they're from Socrates. They're from Seneca the Younger. I mean, they were said 2,600 years ago. So the army manual is built on the writings of the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's nothing new in this world. And human beings do two things really well. 
They buy what they wish they would have bought and they sell what they're about to need. And they do it over and over. And, and I have proof, right? It's not just Mark speculating. It's here's the proof. JP Morgan, 20-year data. Stocks made 8.5% over that period, compounded. Bonds made 5.5%. So all you had to do, pick one. Be in stocks, be in bonds, make 8.5% or 5.5%. Pick some of each. Be, be in and both make, and be just both. go make home. Seven and a half. Yeah. Average investor, 2.9. How's that possible? All you had to do is pick one or, or put some of each? No. They bought stocks when they were hot and they sold them when they were not. And they bought bonds and then bonds went down and they bought stock. And my first job, I worked for two professors uh, that invented quantitative investing. They were the first guys to run screens on mainframe computers, mm -hmm. like before personal computers. And we had a billion dollars back in a billion dollars. was a lot of money. Now we talk trillions. But uh, they uh, had a value bias. And the reason I got hired is after the recession in the early 90s, they got fired by all their clients at exactly the time that they should have been hired. And what did those clients do? They went to growth managers, mm -hmm. which underperformed for three years. Then they came back to us three years later, just in time for our cycle to go out of favor. So they underperformed for 10 years because they were constantly chasing the hot three-year number. Like if you learn nothing else about investing, just never buy the best three-year number. Yeah. Buy a great 10-year track record with a shitty one-year number. Because that's talent that just statistically had a tough year and they will mean revert. That's a great idea. Or if, you know, on the financial networks, if someone is being treated as an oracle because they have a great three-year track record, just fade that. Just fade it. Fade, because, look, no one can be right all the time. It's just math. There, there's one exception. Venture capital is an exception. Venture capital, there is... Uh, a persistence of top quartile performance. Whereas everything else, if you're in the top quartile, you're more likely to be in the third or fourth quartile the next year mm -hmm. because of mean reversion. And, but in venture capital, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you become the go-to firm that founders want to join. And so you do get the best deals and there is serial autocorrelation in venture capital returns. But that's the only segment of investing where mean reversion doesn't work. Do you think that's because the access to deal flow is the most important thing? And they, of course. Yeah. It's about the people. Yeah. It's about the founders. It was funny. I went out in the first bubble back in 2000 because I'm old. And uh, it's nice of you to say I've been around a long time. It was a very nice way to say I'm old. But experienced. Experienced. Yeah. And uh, mature. Um, but I went out and I asked 40 different VCs the same question to end the, the interview. Really, I was begging for capacity. Mm -hmm. I wasn't interviewing them. I was begging for capacity. And asked them all the same question. So there are four things that matter in venture. There's the idea, the research, okay. there's capital, there's the venture capitalist, and there's the founders, which is the most important. 38 out of 40 said, well, of course, it's us, the venture capitalist. <laughs> Only two said the right answer. Benchmark and Sequoia, mm -hmm. two of the most famous and best, said, are you joking? It's the founders. Yeah. We're, we're facilitators. I mean. Why are you even asking that question? It's, it's quite absurd that anyone, that even one person would say it's them. Like if you buy Apple, it's obviously the Apple management and the oh, Apple no, product. Oh no, no, Jack, it's, it's me because I chose to buy it at the right. Yeah. Because look, humans are also very arrogant mm -hmm. and we're optimistic. Now look, optimism is a good thing. I talk about this a lot in the sense of, think about the third person who went out to kill a mastodon with a spear. The first two didn't come back. 
So who is the third guy? I said, I can do it. Yeah. And he trips on a rock. A spear flies up and goes through the bottom of the guy and, and kills him. Oh, I did that. Yeah. No, you accidentally did it. But yeah, that became how you do it. And so he was revered. And then people said, well, I can do that too. And they didn't come back. And so we're, oh, we're optimistic. And we think we can do it on our own. I mean, look, we have a whole retirement system built around a flawed idea that people should manage their own retirement. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Professionals should manage their retirement. And in the olden days, like a long time ago, you worked for a company, they took care of you. You had a defined benefit. And it's behavioral. It's, it's not even, oh, the professionals, they, they know the smart thing. They can outperform the market. It's just that they, you need to be in that, okay, if you're 20, you're 100% in stocks. If you're, you know, if you're really close to retirement, be like you know, 70% in bonds. Jack, it and should do be mathematical. against yeah. the law. Literally, should be against yeah. the law for people from 20 to 65 to own bonds. It should be against the law. Yeah. People are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, think about it. If you're 20 years old and you can't touch the money for 50 years, literally, you can't touch it, you can't take it out. Yeah. Why would you be in bonds? You should be in the highest volatility asset. And I had my shirt yesterday, embrace volatility. Volatility is your friend. If you, if you own zero volatility assets, you make no money. That's why I call it the risk-free rate. It has no vol. Well, the risk-free rate is no longer zero. That was true. It's now, now the risk-free rate is five. You, well, you're in but 5. you 5%. still make zero because inflation chews up yeah. what you make. Yeah. And what I mean by zero is zero in real terms. Mm -hmm. So long-term, the risk-free rate is four and short-term, interest rate is four. I mean, inflation, short-term inflation rate is four. Yeah. So it totally cancels out. So you don't you don't get any better. Mm -hmm. So if I bought bonds and I made that four percent, but inflation averaged four percent, I have the same purchasing power, and that's because the government is stealing our wealth through inflation. But that's a whole other story for another time. But this idea that you have to earn a return, and the only way you earn a return is to take risk. And there are only four risks you can take in the whole world. Only four: credit risk, equity risk, illiquidity risk, and leverage or structure. And credit risk, you only get paid 2% above risk-free. Mm -hmm. Not very good. It's better than nothing, but not very good. And it's because it's a guaranteed claim. Right? You don't pay me, I can sue you. Equity, it's a residual claim. You have no guarantee to make money on equities. But you make 7% above risk-free, 5% more than bonds. That's good. But the free launch is private, where I spend most of my mm -hmm. time. You know, private, you make four to 500 basis points above equities. Because the average human being has a finite life. Right? So they are going to need their money at some point. Endowments, foundations, pension funds, multi-generational families live forever. And so they can take illiquidity risk. They don't need, they can buy a private building and hold it for longer. They can, they don't need liquid markets. And you get paid four to 500 basis points per year, mm -hmm. compounded forever. And in venture, it's even more because you're taking innovation risk. And, you know, that's my pinned tweet on Twitter, right? Greatest wealth, bar none, is investing in innovation as an asset class. And to do that, you have to invest in something you believe in before others understand. Problem with that is you'll be mocked and ridiculed for your non-consensus action, but it's totally worth it. And most people can't do that. They, they want to do what's consensus because it makes it feel good. In fact, I used to say that if, if you make an investment and you feel good about it, you're going to lose money. If you feel really good about it, like super uh, cocky, yeah. you're going to lose a lot of money. If you feel bad, if a little nervous, make money. If you feel sick to your stomach, like, oh my God, this is horrible. You're gonna make a lot of money. What, why is that? What is six, why would you feel sick and why would that actually be? be because if, it's, if you feel good, it's in the price. Because everyone else already yeah. knows it, right? And the reason you feel good is because uh, people tell, oh, you're so smart, Jack. Yeah. Buying NVIDIA, yeah, $520. Yeah, yeah. You're so smart. Are you joking? 
right? That's like buying Sun Microsystems in 2000. It went down 98%. Now, I'm not saying NVIDIA is going to go down 98. Maybe I am, but it's going to go down a lot. And I don't know when, and I'm not brave enough to be short it, because being short in the parabolic rise yeah. is just a fool's error. Why, why do it? And so my point there is that if, if, if you're human, you're, you're going to seek warmth of the herd, and you're going to seek people telling you you're smart. And so if, if you say, you know, I'm going to go buy this Peloton thing. Dude, it's down 95%. You're an idiot. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's expensive bike rack. Yeah. And I've been calling it that since it was up, you know, 20 fold from yeah. here. And people who bought it then were idiots. But looking at it today, you're like, well, is there a business there? Probably. Is it valued now? at a level where I could actually make a good return, maybe, and I still might not buy it, but that's the type of thing where- It's definitely a better deal now than it was in 2021 yeah, exactly. at the top present. Yeah, and, and Zoom is another one, right? Yeah. Zoom's a great tool, but they didn't make enough money to justify their valuation. So it wasn't a surprise that it went down a lot. Yeah. In fact- um, Worth more than ExxonMobil for like a few days. Yeah. Yeah, and look, but that happens, yeah. you know? I've never seen, I've been around a long time, doing this almost, you know, believe it or not, almost 40 years, and I've never seen a company valued at 40 times revenues, whereas NVIDIA is it. And I'm not saying they're not a great company. They are. They're amazing. But you can't do the math. Yeah. To me, and Howard Marks has this great line. Howard Marks has a lot of great lines, but one of those great lines is there's no investment good enough that you can't screw up by paying too much. Yep. But there's no investment bad enough that you can't fix with a low price. And, and that's not 100% true. There are frauds and there are bad, but, but generally speaking, a good, decent company that has a bad period because people either fail to understand it or they don't understand cyclicality mm -hmm. or business cycles, uh, it can get oversold. And, and Bitcoin's the same way, right? Right now, the fair value, is, let's call it 50, 52, 50, I don't really know, let's call it 50 grand. And the price is less. And how do you come to that so fair that, value? That's yeah, about yeah. Metcalf's law okay, yeah. model. Based and on the number of wallets? Based on the number of wallets and the transactions. and trans So there's a lot of inputs that go into, look, networks are really interesting in the sense that, you know, we're talking like on a radio show in the olden days. This feels like radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. in the olden days, I was sitting in Seattle, Washington. I could listen to WGN radio in Chicago. It's like, how is that possible? Well, they had this giant antenna and it beamed out and, and this guy... Um, Sarnoff came along and said, well, you know, everyone that hears that signal is a node in a network and networks have a value that's linear. Yeah. And Metcalf came along and said, well, yeah, but Mark and Jack might've heard the same thing and then they talk about it. And so there's another connection. So now there's not a linear, there's an exponential relationship. And think about exponential, people can't do math. Mm -hmm. right? If I say two times two, you say four. If I say 22, 23 times 17, I'll wait. Right? That's the limit of human intelligence. The average person cannot do that without a calculator. So if I say, how are you on you know, nonlinear regression? They're like, not very good. Or just, right, if you double something eight times, like a piece of paper, mm -hmm. anyone listening to this, try to fold a piece of paper tonight eight times. Can't do it. They're a bunch of macho guys. I yeah. can do it. Or, or one guy said, I'm going to use a piece of Kleenex. Can't even do it with Kleenex. So you can't fold it eight times. If you could fold it 20, it's higher than this building. If you could do it 30, it's the sun. Mm -hmm. 50, no, no, I'm sorry, 30 is the moon, 50 is the sun, and 100 is the known universe. 100 doubles. 
So exponential growth is this massive thing and people just can't comprehend it. So when, when things start to, to grow exponentially, like Metcalf's law predicted, then they get really valuable really fast. And the other part of it is, if you think about old hierarchical corporations, all of their costs grow linear. Mm -hmm. Yet in a network, your revenues grow exponentially. So our top five most valuable companies in the world mm -hmm. are not companies. They don't make stuff. Amazon doesn't make anything. They're a network, right? And they have lots of nodes and lots of connections. Anyway, so this guy, Reed, like, like Metcalf, came along and said, no, in every network, there's fringe groups on the edge where let's say everyone at this conference, some people like golf, some people like you know, Ethereum, some people like Bitcoin, and those subgroups add more value because they grow at a differentiated rate than the main group. And then I came up with an idea for the fourth derivative and named it after a friend of mine, Sophia Vachetto, called Vachetto's Law because the, the connections, like you're my connection mm -hmm. might be really wide or really narrow. Someone else's connection might be really wide or really, or really sporadic or really all the time. So the, 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 the idea that Metcalf said every node is the same, every connection is the same, I won't buy it. I said, so you could have connections that are really valuable and others that aren't. So I think there's this fourth derivative effect. So to mm. me, Bitcoin has these fourth derivative effects because there are subgroups like the Maxis and, and others that are Which very despite different. your orange pants, you are not. I'm not a yeah, Maxi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm, an I'm, I'm a technology Maxi. I'm an innovation yeah. Maxi, but I'm not a Bitcoin Maxi. And look, can I, I'm, I'm still not, I haven't settled my mental model yet that are we going to have a tech stack like the internet, right? There's TCP, IP, FTP, SMTP, HTTP, S, and WWW. Okay. Could we have Bitcoin, Filecoin, you know, Ethereum at the top and Solana or Cosmos or Polkadot in the middle? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Could we have one chain to end all chains, Lord of the Rings, Bitcoin, Lightning, L3, L4? Maybe. Could we have a bunch of L1s with all these bridges? Yeah. Probably not because the, bridge, the bridges yeah. are attack vectors. If, if we could have a bunch of L1s. And the only way for them to be safe is it for it to be centralized, which would be against the point? I think that's right. Yeah. I, and again, I heard that from a very smart person today, so it's not my fault. I, but. No, but I think that's right. And because and a bunch of L1s is cool, and I, and I think it's good, and I can make a case why that's really good, but then interoperability is hard. And I heard some stuff today on a couple of the panels, which were great, mm -hmm. that, that maybe there's some ways to change the thinking. I loved the debate yesterday about, well, yeah, you, you do your mainframe you know, build, and I'll build the personal computer. <laughs> okay. yeah. That was brutal, but yes, that's exactly right. And nothing against the people building the mainframe, but maybe it's time for personal computers or maybe it's time for little digital supercomputers we walk around with our hands and uh, maybe we don't need a computer at all. Maybe it's all virtual. Mm -hmm. So the bridges though are hackable. Now, could we have chips that help with that? Like we're invested in a couple of companies that are doing chips that help with, this is crazy to me. So normally if you have data or I have data, mm -hmm. it's, it's safe, it's encrypted. If I send it to you on WhatsApp or Telegram, it's encrypted. Mm -hmm. If I send it on iMessage, not so much. Mm -hmm. If we put it out in the cloud, like you know, storage of our company data, it's encrypted. But then if I go to find your address, I got to decrypt it to operate on it. What's well, in those moments where you get hacked and you get all the data breaches. So these guys, these Israeli tech guys have come up with a way to create a privacy protection unit 
that would allow you to operate on your date while it's still encrypted. Which makes my head hurt. It's like, how is that even possible? But if that's possible, then that will place all of the chips that NVIDIA sell into cloud because there won't be a cloud. It'll be this. That's a pretty interesting. And so, because crypto, which has such a bad connotation, is simple. It's cryptographically secure. That's what it means. It's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. It's just cryptographic security, which in a world of, you know, hacking and, and you know, uh, computer warfare, cryptographic security is a pretty big thing. And, and this is one of my big things. We don't have time to talk about it today, yeah. but, but, you know, I'm a big, actually, China bull. Yeah. Like, you I, you I, are, I, really. Oh, my God. And people hate China. They don't want to talk about China. They want to divest in China. Like, because you don't understand. They're playing a different game. 10 years ago, China figured out that the next war will not be fought with ships, be fought with chips. Right? They know there's, like, if you think about history of the yeah. central reserve currency, world reserve currency was, was created by the most powerful Navy and the most dominant superpower had the most powerful military. Which is the U.S., yeah. Today is the U.S. The point there was in the future, they figured out it's not going to be kinetic war, mm -hmm. it's going to be cyber. And so they have invested in 5G and AI way ahead of everybody else. So that's yeah. a topic for another. Well, that's, that's very interesting here in China. So many people are bearish on China and the stocks are uh, exceptionally low, like pretty much where they were 10 years ago, which is remarkable given the, the growth in the, in the country. I'm and a so value just, guy, just, Jack. Yeah, just going to the point, I mean, you talk, go, go to unloved assets. I mean, nothing more unloved than Chinese equities. We'll leave it there. Um, uh, thank you again, Mark, for, for joining us. And thank you to no. uh, the Kraken podcast. Thanks, guys.